Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I'm John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Bradley Gerald, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? Good, John. Thank you. Good. Alex Newman. How are you, Alex? I'm well, thanks, John. Excellent. Over in the control room, Graham Davis. How are you, Graham? Very well, thanks, John. Good. So, getting close to the end of the year. We're getting there, aren't we? Getting there. We are getting there. We've got one big issue to go, which is Friday week's issue. Yep. Two podcasts, including this one. Next week, party podcast. But yeah, let's, let's stick with the real business of the markets this week. It's a serious week still. Bradley, let's start with you. You've written the cover feature this week, which we're also going to talk about yep. in a minute. Before we come on to Alex and talking about small cap markets, the A market in particular, and some of the shenanigans that be going on there. But let's talk about the, uh, the big stories of the week. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think um, one piece of data that kind of caught my eye was um, about the level of China's foreign exchange reserves has been they've been falling. Actually, in November, they recorded their third largest monthly decline. And you might think, okay, why is this interesting? Well, it's interesting because it's the amount of exchange reserves that China has is quite a important plank of like global investor confidence really you know with things like the potential for the dollar to rise more if US rates do rise soon which people expect then maybe people might well sell out of renminbi assets and buy dollar which forces the reserves of China down so that's just kind of an interesting sort of macro thing something to yeah. watch well I guess come next week we'll know what the, we uh, will, the yeah. Fed's done um, we, actually next week we're getting uh, Kelly Sammer from Charles Schwab indeed uh, he's yeah, coming he's on next week, next week. Uh, so we're going to talk specifically about the uh, the US and uh, and the interest rate decision over there. So, uh, yeah. yeah, tune back in next week, but listen to this one first. Exactly. And then otherwise, I suppose a very big story this week is, you know, that the commodities route continues. Um, Brent oh. crude fell through $40 a barrel, which I don't think is done since about February 2009, if my memory serves me correctly. Your memory, you remember that? I well, don't. Well, I mean, <laughs> I say my memory serves me correctly, having read it a earlier graph. this week. Yeah. <laughs> But it's part of the whole sort of commodities story, which has been happening uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's shocking in the speed at which the oil price declined, but also mm. the, the the real sell-off in other commodities markets. Yeah. I mean, I mean iron Ang- Ang- Anglo-American, which is a big iron oil producer yeah. this week, has been hammered. Well, that's the subject of our um, chart of the week, actually. Um, obviously, as you said, the shares got very harshly sold because, A, they were... They're completely cutting their dividend for 2016, and I think they're getting rid of about 85,000 jobs. A lot of jobs, um, yeah. Yeah, an awful lot of jobs. And so, you know, people are pretty fearful of that. And, um, yeah, the stock was hit. I think the shares were about 11% on the day. It's down 20, 25% over the, over the week. Spectacular. So, yeah, that's a big thing to happen. So, obviously, you know, you've had other commodities companies like Glencore, they're sort of cutting their dividend. You wonder who else might be next, really. Mm. And that might be something that we, we look at. Well, you mentioned BHP Billiton here. Obviously, they've had a, a pretty tough time recently. I mean, not just because of the commodity price backdrop, but I mean, there's there's been a big problem in south america yeah in brazil they had um, a spillage at, um but one of the dams one of their mines um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a problem there and it's um impacted. it collapsed it? yeah it collapsed and it did lead to some fatalities um and the brazilian government has actually asked um bhp and vale who together own this company that runs that project to set aside quite a large contingency fund and um i think well last week we wrote that um the brazilian government might well uh, move to sue the companies as well so my goodness um yeah so not not good news for them so i mean their their response to it and their reaction to it in terms of bhp was very quick they acted as best as they could but obviously it doesn't detract from the fact that it is a, a tragedy out there and it's going to cost them money to rectify it yeah yeah no i mean not not good news coming out of the mining sector generally but that specifically is quite is quite terrible not really any end in sight uh, i guess to the to the woes there no 
no not really it's a tough a tough sector i mean only slight bit of maybe sunlight for a smaller company something that alex touched upon in news which was um about a uh, flow group mm. or flow group that, that is a very very tenuous link in the commodity uh, space, but uh, let's go with it okay. let's go with well, it well here's here's the link is that they signed it they signed a deal with um with shell which for a very small company, just to um, recap for, for uh, listeners who might not be aware, Flow Group has this, uh, you know, supposedly revolutionary boiler technology, which uh, my editor is very is very doubtful about. <laughs> Me, yeah, and uh, and um, he's not alone, Alex. Yeah. So this this um, this week they've signed a five year deal with Shell. Shell will uh, will supply the the energy services division of Flow Group with discounted wholesale gas and uh, electricity for for quite attractive credit terms mm. that gives some really good working capital for flow which is launching its boiler uh, in the new year it's also got a, a major backer uh, in a in a shareholder and it's its manufacturing partner jabil which is a, a large u.s listed um uh, manufacturer which actually approached flow group a couple of years ago uh, because they thought you know this is this is going to be a cutting edge revolutionary uh, te- technology, the, the energy efficient boiler. So good, good deal for Flow Group. Shell will certainly get their their pound of flesh if things do go wrong. Um, and what got, what could go wrong? So Flow Group are promising a lot. They need quite a large uptake of their of their boiler. How um, many how many households are we talking about then? Well, they think they think eventually um, they could target one million boiler cells in <laughs> in the, boilers. Yeah, in the UK a year. Not everywhere in the UK could run their boiler because there are some limitations with the feed-in tariff, which you have to you have to sign up to if you're if you're on their boiler scheme. And they're already thinking to Europe, and there's you know a colossal market there. They're obviously up against some serious competitors in. Worcester Bosch, indeed. who I just bought a boiler from, mm. uh, Valent, who are another tremendous boiler manufacturer. I mean, you know, we've we've had some heated discussions <laughs> in the office about oh this. Yeah, not, yeah. Too heat, not too heated. Yeah. I mean, they, no blows were exchanged. Energy but, um, efficient heated. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I'm, I'm kind of sceptical. Yeah, but I mean, and we'll come on, I guess we, we, we'll, we'll be talking about small caps in a little bit, but the, a really, a really important part of uh, uh, of... of identifying potentially successful companies at the lower end of the market is that sort of endorsement which shell appear to have have, have given uh, to the business model they're not going to sign a five-year deal with a, a small company if they don't think there's a realistic chance of it paying off so it's an it, it's an option though isn't it, it, really? it, is it, it we've seen it before indeed, with yeah. Ser- in, in the same sort of company Serious power which was a fuel cell fired boiler for the home they did their deals with British Gas and you know some some names and and that hasn't quite worked out. See, Graham, Graham used to be a small cap editor, as we yes. were just discussing. Uh, so you've seen them all. You've seen it all. Yeah, I have seen. It's, I've uh, seen a lot, a lot of this in the past, and I'm, I'm probably far too cynical for it these days. But uh, but yeah. yeah. And what was interesting, Alex, actually, was because we, we talked about this, and I probably misled you because I thought the shares had jumped mm. on the back of this news, but actually they didn't. You know, that's sort of, you normally expect tiny company partnering a big name. You expect the shares to react and yeah it was it was pretty muted wasn't it i I think for the same reasons you've given there is uh there's a lot of depressed sentiment in the market um uh regarding flow group they really need to show some traction with the boiler cells they've been promising this for a a decade they listed in 2005 under a different uh a different name so there is probably some selling pressure a lot of people have been hit this year what did they used to be called energetics okay um yeah change the names always fill me with horror but there you go um no i mean you know my view is up uptake is key you mm. know and 
I think in, in the boiler market, tie-ups are important. Uh, so, yeah, if you're a British gas customer, you'll get boiler offers from those guys. So, yeah, if you, someone like that. But it didn't work for Sarah's Power necessarily. Mm. You know, I think install the installer market is really important. And, you know, finding a good boiler installer is, is, is pretty, pretty key when you're buying a new boiler. So I'm talking about my recent experience here. You know, Worcester Bosch offer eight-year eight year guarantees on, mm. their, on their boilers, which is massive. I mean, that's mm. absolutely massive, ridiculous. And that, that points the reliability mm. of the product that they're plowing huge amounts of R&D into. So, yeah, I just think they're, they're, into, they're in a tough market. Mm. Don't it, dispute the, mm. you know, the, the idea. Yeah. yeah, why not? You know, generate uh, your heat for your home and, and, and also electricity that you can sell back to the grid. Pays for itself in five years. Is allegedly. It? Allegedly, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. But, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. They are, they are heavily tested as well. It's not, uh, yeah, <laughs> complete shot in the dark. But I think yeah. Flow Group, unlike the fuel cell, mm. F- Flow Group is, is a more established technology they're using, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not sort of, a, it's not the, the still the lab concept type stuff that the fuel cell guys were trying to sell. Yeah. I, listen, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong because, the, I mean, Valent and Worcester Bosch, I mean, Worcester is a, a British company, but it's owned ultimately by a German company, you know, mm. good strong British competitor would be, uh, be wonderful in the boiler market but yeah unconvinced and if you're buying shares like I think as Graham says it's kind of it's an option on yeah. spectacular it's high risk, success high risk high risk, high risk stuff yeah. high risk stuff okay okay let's come come back to Bradley well yeah before the uh, pilot light goes out on this podcast I guess we might as well stick with uh, small caps and something that Alex wrote and we we looked this week there was um, a, a very large move in the shares of Senkos which is a broker the reason for the shares initially falling was a Sunday Times report um, and that report um, it said it was understood that Senkos had um, handed some documents to the serious fraud office. Mm-hmm. A day later, Senkos um, you know, absolutely denied and rejected this report, and the shares pretty much gained back most of what they'd lost on Monday. But we sort of just looked at the issue and thought, well, what, what, what potential kind of worries were there in the market? And we kind of talking in a news meeting thought well th- there is a bit of an old issue here of um of nominated advisors known as nomads because they're companies which act as kind of like a as a, a, making sure that aim companies meet regulations mm. but then also being responsible for the sale of their shares so people have long sort of worried about the potential conflict of interest in that so we kind of explored that issue in our new spotlight and which Alex, uh, which Alex wrote? Yeah, so you interviewed Marcus Stuttard, who's the head of AIM. Well, quite quite some time ago, and yeah. I and I and I, th- I assume, in fact, we know that you raised the issue of AIM's regulatory structure with him. Yeah. What did he say? Well, uh, the LSE's approach is uh, we can't have every company succeeding on on AIM. It's it's a growth market. There will inevitably fa- be failures. So. In that sense, they have to protect their, you know, protect their backs by saying there will be some companies which, uh, you know, either have unproven technology or, in the case of the many, many uh, natural resources uh, stocks listed on AIM, will not find the the oil they were looking for. So there will be failures with regard to uh, regulatory oversight and the role of a nominated advisor. Some listeners who may sort of not not know about the the, the intricacies of the the way the city runs these things, they are charged with regulating the the companies on aim so they are in in effect uh doing the job of the the fca on the on the main market and, and people have a problem with this people structure. have a pro- problem this with this and we spoke with the, the the shareholder society uh who are against instances where there is a nomad 
joint nomad broker role. Effectively, you've got you've got there an investment bank or, or stockbroker like Senkos. We're not implicated. You know, not saying Senkos have done anything anything wrong at all. But where uh, a stockbroker has been asked to um, to sell the shares at the same time as as, as regulating them and, and making sure. The, the 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 company is compliant. Some would say that that is a, an inherent conflict of interest in in putting the, a company in the best light as well as uh, keeping it in check. Yeah. So so I guess some people want a, a separation, a proper yeah. full separation. Do you think that's going to happen? I mean, did did you get the feeling that the LSE were looking perhaps? at the regulatory structure of AIM and thinking mm, could do with a bit of tweaking? Uh, well, I mean, ShareSock wrote to, to Professor John Kay, who carried out a, a review of, of equity markets a couple of years ago, highlighting this issue. The, the, Kay, re, the Kay review didn't even mention it, um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't seen to be of, of significant a corporate, a corporate governance risk then. The LSE's attitude, I think, is that they... You know the, the the standards and checks are there in place. If there is, if there, you know, if there, if there's fraud discovered, uh, fraud, no, no, it becomes no, yeah. it becomes a criminal matter. At that sure, point. sure. And, you know, yeah. different regulatory bodies, different you know uh, enforcement bodies become involved. Yeah, and that would be the same whether it were a main market company, an overseas company, and you know an offshore trust or whatever it might be. So I mean, in that respect, yeah, it's no different. Indeed, indeed. with regards to you know the the, the sort of light touch regulation i think i think they'll they're unlikely to do anything about it um i mean so so there are some people out there you know sort of say well you know the light touch regulatory structure of aim means that it's 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 a market to be exploited by the unscrupulous and i've heard the word cesspool chucked around or casino you know casino uh, or whatever it might be let's let's go back to our view what do we think of aim are we do we share the view that it's a cesspool i mean are we are we happy with the regulatory Mm. structure I think there are, there are some obvious problems there. I mean, if you this year you only have to look at the the you know the vast number of Chinese companies which uh, are now sort of valued at uh, such a discount that the, the market has entirely discredited the advisory system which has allowed these companies to float. That is clearly clearly a problem which the LSE probably has to has to address at some point. So. But, but AIM has been a, an important market for, for the LSE in terms of bringing overseas companies into the UK. Certainly, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, I mean, we, I mean we, we write about AIM all the time. We, we do like it. This year, it's actually done, you know, uh, the, you can't buy an index of the, the AIM market, but the AIM all share, which, which is the aggregate of, of, of all the companies uh, on the junior market, has done a lot, lot better than, uh, than the FTSE 100 or FTSE 350. It's up about 6% this this year, but, it, had ter- but, it had a terrible year last year, and it tends to underperform or lose lose ground each but year. But over its yeah. lifetime, it's know, done badly. It's yeah. done very badly. Yeah. But then you know, uh, I think uh, Gervais Williams, who's uh, a very well known small cap fund manager, he he speaks very highly of, of the A market and yeah, his view. Graham, you must have, you've spoken to Gervais on a number of occasions. Yeah. But his view would be it's not a, it's not a market you want to track anyway. It's a stock biggest market. Yeah, you it's know. too big to track. It's too big. But yeah, but there are qual- there are quality companies on AIM. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. but but it is such a huge market that that, that you know that, that there are going to be some bad apples there as well. Yeah, I mean, but as I say, you know, there are bad apples everywhere. Yeah, mm. they just they there are that is that is that. But you know, my view of AIM, and I, I've I've looked at you know some great great companies on AIM, companies that have been around for a long long time. So you know, a big big favourite of mine over the years has been a company called Nichols. It's a mm. soft drink manufacturer. Yeah. yeah, they've been around for, for over a hundred years. Amazing company, and I guess you know, Alex, you—I mean, you're, you know, your day job is, is looking at AIM. You know, 
you you see the speculative stuff, but there, you know there's some great companies on there as well. Oh, there certainly are, yeah. And there's uh, there's a lot of uh, there, there are many family owned businesses uh, as well, which uh, sit on AIM sometimes entirely overlooked many many larger funds can't for various reasons in the way they set their funds can't invest in in aim but i mean certainly this this year there have been some there've been some tremendous successes some pretty strong ipos as well and we round them up in our in the feature on uh, on, on small caps next week so i want to give too much away a about the you know the specific companies which mm. which we think uh, might be tipped for glory next year as well but yeah i mean like you say there there's there's quality on there there's some dross as well of course, of course. I mean, let's talk uh, while we're on the subject of small companies. You've written a great blog this week on uh, Victoria, mm. which is a carpet maker. And it's really, really interesting. Um, I mean, this company has done fantastically well, essentially since a change of ownership. Yeah. But you're asking a couple of questions here. Yeah. And, and, and questions which might actually point to the way that AIM can be perhaps used not necessarily in the best interest of shareholders always. Victoria was on the main market um, until uh, I think 2012, 2013. It's uh, it's a car- so it's a carpet manufacturer. It made the the red carpet for uh, the royal wedding in 2011. Bye bye. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know it's a high quality family owned company with sort of illustrious history, but also fairly unspectacular company. There was a quite a bloody boardroom coup and uh, and sort of internal battle, sort of which which ended in in 2000. And twelve with a new management team, and the share price since then has gone on an unbelievable run. Um, it moved down from the main market to AIM, which allows the company. It, it said with the decision for that was it allows it to do certain things which um, pro- it probably couldn't do on the on the main market. One of them, I, I suspect, is the the executive chairman uh, Jeff Wilding taking that executive chairman role i think that's i, I think that's uh, uh not not so common of of, of the of the main market to have a, a dual it's uh, it's unusual it's not something we don't ever see on the mm, main market sure. i mean you know governance and it's common in the u.s as well yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's uh, yeah governance rules are there they're not necessary rules they can't be strictly enforced so i mean i can there are recommendations more than anything yeah but, uh, yeah yeah okay so unusual management yeah structure. um uh, but they've gone. A, they've gone on, a, on a, an acquisition spree since then. Uh, very interesting dividend payment in uh, 2014, uh, which rewarded shareholders and Mr. Wilding very handsomely. And the shares have done very, very well since then. Got a lot of um, institutional investor uh, traction. The issue, or the question, I, I, I think is important for shareholders in Victoria now, and that we ask in the piece is whether this this large collection of companies can deliver the synergies that the market is expecting. It has quite a high valuation. The company is still very bullish, and it will acquire more companies. It says, and and I would actually expect the the shares probably to continue their momentum there's a huge amount of momentum behind it but at the same time our advice is takes profits off take the table. profits yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah, i mean it is an interesting uh, arrangement that was put in place that has allowed uh, the consortium that that essentially put this deal together to take quite a large amount of money out of the business yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, contract for differences is something you, probably more common with with forex traders than they are sort of management incentive plans. Nonetheless, they they squeezed this CFD through, which is quite a complicated structure, and allowed Mr. Wilding to uh, sort of gave him half of the half of the company um, after the share price reached three hundred uh, pence. 
I mean, it's backed by shareholders. They agreed to it, so um, it, they I guess he had to. He had there. to sort of meet certain performance criteria, didn't he? I mean, I guess again, maybe I don't know what those are, but maybe those were sort of maybe lighter than they could have been, but they would have been approved by shareholders as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that's possibly the kind of thing that they might have struggled to get away on the main uh, market. Yes, yeah. Which I'm sure they had in mind prior to the move. Uh, I think. Or they may have. I mean, Victoria was a pretty in a pretty depressed. Uh, states when he took over so i mean the shareholders it may be maybe maybe getting through um, incentives that were based on share price appreciation which i think was the main criteria yeah would probably have been appealing to shareholders who'd gone through a really tough time mm-hmm. uh, uh, up up to the up to the takeover mm. so mm-hmm. it was a good time to put that sort of incentive package in i guess yeah yeah it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make it right no i not um, saying it does so yeah i mean victoria we you know we're, we're not overly bullish but we're also not massively negative even i mean these kind of things you do see these strange management incentive programs you know time and time again particularly online. but that said i mean we have a great columnist paul jackson who's an expert on pay and he's worked at some large banks in their uh, their kind of remuneration uh, departments and you know pay is pay is a perennial problem time even at the you know biggest companies you know some of the incentive schemes that are put in, in place are very skewed not necessarily in, in, in the shareholders' interest, but certainly in the management's interest. Well, like Yahoo's yeah. been an example this week, hasn't it? Oh, I has think, it? I yeah, I think um, the chief executive oh, of that is still, yeah, she's still in the money on her um, options, even though Yahoo's share price has been falling quite a lot because of the, the date at which these options were struck or something, or with the date at which they're tied to. So, you know, that, that benefits her. I'm not sure how else it benefits. So. No, no. Well, yeah, management pay, I think it's an issue that will never go away. Never go away. But anyway, you know, after all that, you know, sort of uh, talk of AIM. I, mean, I, I think it's fair to say, uh, Alex and Graham, our general view of AIM is, you know, it is what it is. And there, there is definitely some, some good companies on there that we can, uh, that we can happily recommend. Certainly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people love AIM. It's, it's for, for those who have uh, a portion of their, their portfolio for speculative interesting potential multi-baggers potential you know you, you sh- you're sometimes shooting for the moon kind of investments it's it's a, it's a good market there's also reliable consistent quality on there as well yeah absolutely absolutely bradley let's uh, leave the week of news behind us and let's uh, do that. move on to the cover feature yeah um which i thought was great but a subject dear to my heart food so what we're talking about basically is the big changes that are afoot in dietary habits I guess the most conspicuous of those changes is the sugar topic that's being debated fiercely at the moment, yeah. everywhere. Um, so basically, tell us tell us what's going on. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can't take uh, full credit for the whole feature because obviously Theron and Mohammed and Harriet Russell also wrote parts of it. Their, their focus, Harriet's, was on the changing sort of uh, dynamics in food retail and Theron looked at... Um, how technology is driving how we consume food but yeah for my part i looked at the um the consumption and production of food and how that's changing and you talk about sugar which is a very key um a key factor in diet at the moment i mean it's um some places have tried without success to implement like a sugar tax or a curb on sugary beverages um, and some have actually you know achieved success so mexico did implement a sugar tax that's gone quite well um, places in America are starting to do it. Mm. Um, and actually, there's a committee of MPs here in the UK who are, are very, very strongly arguing that there is a you know, decent amount of evidence now that suggests if we can sort of tackle the amount of sugar in food or at least increase the visibility of labelling regarding sugar on food and drinks, that could seriously help obesity. So there is a very big lobby against sugar. Uh, yeah. It's growing. And that, that investors need to pay attention to that because obviously... 
years ago they might have just invested in something like coca-cola or i don't know something like that and thinking it's kind of an evergreen stock but we are more and more desiring healthy food and drink and sugar is um very much in the crosshairs of, of politicians indeed well some may suggest this is just jamie oliver going off on uh, <laughs> on one of his uh, his crusades uh as he is prone to do um but but you've got some good grass in here which kind of suggests that there's a bit more to this than uh, than a celebrity chef mouthing off yeah exactly and um, actually schroeder's did um, a fantastic note on this the comparing um well posing the question is kind of big food big beverage i.e those stacks of sugar is that kind of becoming the next big tobacco um in the sense of just continually having to fight litigation um negative pr and then also the potential damage to you know future profits that that those things can have so um ellie irving who's um one of the analysts over at schroeder's she's sort of saying that she thinks people are aware of this to a degree they're aware of the potential value destruction that could be rained on companies who are very much reliant on sugary food and beverages but it's not really being fully factored in um so I think that's just is, is an interesting point for investors to think about. Indeed, you know, I, I'm going to have to uh, kind of uh, make a belated apology to, to Mark Robinson, who was covering the beverages sector uh, about six months ago, because I kind of he picked up on this point uh, when he was covering one of the soft drinks makers, and he, he made this point about sugar, and I kind of I thought it was risible. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? But it's true. Yeah. So sorry, Mark. It is. It is true. It's um. It, it's going to be a very slow moving thing. I think we have to accept that, but. If you've got a serious committee of MPs thinking about it, it is it is more than a Jamie Oliver mouthing off and some MPs trying to get some positive PR off the back of it. It is more than that. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got some good grass here. So Coca-Cola's growth has been slowing Yeah, the sales growth has been slowing. Um, and actually, interestingly, one thing I found is Coca-Cola is now the world's largest um, still drinks manufacturer. So even Coca-Cola is aware of what's going on and it's reacting. It's, it's launching water. It's launching carbonated water, which obviously is not not a sugar-based product, unlike mm. its namesake. Yeah, and you've got this graph from uh, Google Trends, Google yeah, searches, Google Trends. which I, think, I, mean, I, I like this sort of stuff. Yeah, so I put into Google Trends, which you could just type in um, and just put in a search and see how much it's been searched for. So I put Google searches for sugar in Coke, and you can see from the graph that it's, been, it's relatively volatile, but it's on a That's steadily a, rising trend. It's rising. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's fine. So we are somewhat concerned about the amount of sugar in diets. Um, we're not necessarily going to go into companies that might find themselves affected by that. So we know that soft drinks makers have, have something to do. Yep. Cake makers, I assume, have to, to worry about this too. Yeah. I um, mean, one thing I suppose that Ellie Irving at Schroeder's picked up on was that th- this this shift, if there are companies like you mentioned, sort of like AG Bar or Britvic or Coca-Cola, whoever it might be, the one thing investors really need to sort of pay attention to is the ha- amount of money they might have to spend to kind of you know, change their yeah. products, their product lineup. You know, there could be an R and D cost here, a development cost. Those sorts of things could start to rise. That's true, but then, but you've identified some companies who are perhaps in the sweet spot, mm. no pun intended, <laughs> of actually helping companies with this shift. Uh, and there's two companies in particular that you mention. Yeah, who, I mean, who are right at the forefront of this? Yeah, there are one, some one of which is a name company. In fact, yeah, there are some ingredients sort of specialist companies. Um, well, there's there's Pure Circle and Tate and Lyle who are kind of um, looking at alternative forms of sugar. So I spoke to Tate and Lyle not that long ago of their results, and um, they had at the time recently. Um, released a product which uses a rare sugar called allulose and mm. apparently that has 90 um 90 less calories than 
you know normal refined sugar um so there is a bit of a um a fight and a drive to kind of find these alternative sugars so um with pure circle it's stevia and i think it's stevia that is actually in coca-cola life yeah if yeah, i'm correct is, in yeah. saying that yeah. so pure circle are developing that and as a key as i was writing this feature actually there was an announcement from pure circle saying that india has um its food you know regulatory department has allowed stevia to be in drinks products so that could be a key a key market for yeah, them as well, well. You talked about obesity, mm. but you didn't mention diabetes, which I guess is perhaps even the big concern around yeah. sugar consumption. Yeah, I mean, it, it's linked to that as well. Um, there's, yeah, diabetes and, and obesity are you know, key issues, and they're, they're issues that are sort of becoming more prominent in um, Western diets. Um, and obviously, you know, the corollary of that is that you kind of get um, a health epidemic. You know, in the UK, you've got the NHS struggling. So it's kind of all tied into a few long-term themes. Yeah, yeah, nice. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, the other thing you mentioned, though, I mean, so we're talking about all these alternatives to sugar. Mm. Um, and, you know, we know that there's a lot of research that goes into food, uh, food science, food development. Um, but actually, there's another trend uh, that, that that sits alongside this, which is the quest for sort of natural products so mm. butter we've been told for so many years don't eat too much butter butter's bad for you but you know it's full of fat you're gonna yeah, it's gonna make you uh you know give you heart disease whatever but butter is okay yeah well because it's this this sort of thirst um for want of a better word for what what people perceive to be more natural products so mm. for a while when when butter was bad as you say there were these all newfangled you know margarine spread products which had all these things in to make it taste like butter and spread better than butter and what have you but actually yeah it's interesting speaking to um dairy crest that they you know they had noticed that you know they are going to be making sure that they you know focus a bit more on butter because it's seen as more natural and also i think clover although it is technically kind of a spread they they've removed all sort of unnatural ingredients um, artificial ingredients from it so they're kind of making sure that their their products are definitely seen as natural and that's sort of a key kind of trend that's happening not just in you know food producers but um i mentioned in the features well, ssp group which owns eateries and like railways and airports um mm. even they are saying they're like sort of working to simplify recipes this whole simplification being a appearing to be more natural is definitely a big uh, theme in food i'll tell you i had a sandwich from an ssp shop the other day there's nothing more natural than a bit of grit in your sandwich no or um <laughs> or, a Millie, or a millie's cookie <laughs> oh, talking of talking of railways um uh let's uh quickly go on a bit of a tangent um <laughs> to stagecoach graham yes this is i mean this is joy to our ears or is it i don't know i can't work it out actually so stagecoach let's quickly rewind to the news section because this is this is big news for me and graham certainly is Big news. It is. So Stagecoach, um, which actually I um, tipped as a sell tip just more than a week ago, um, had results this week. And on those results, the shares fell 14%. Um, a, a big reason for this is because they, mo- they, in their words, modestly downgraded for your expectations. Um, well, the market obviously agreed with them. <laughs> yeah, the market agreed there was a downgrade and reacted accordingly. Um, I mean, the chief executive who I spoke to said he was surprised by the amount the shares moved by. Um, but the, I guess the, the, the kind of key trends um, in Stagecoach that are arguably drove that share price drop are... Um, falling margins in UK regional bus, London bus and North America bus divisions in this period reported. Mm. Um, Again, the chief executive kind of um, said a big problem with the UK bus, uh, the regional bus division is that it includes its Europe megabus startup, the cost of which are rising. So he said if you get rid of, if you kind of 
if you remove that, then the underlying trend of regional bus is okay, and the margins will probably be flat year on year come year end. Okay, oh, Graham, tell us about your recent recent experience with regional buses. Yes, um, well, what, the fact that a, a family ticket on my local bus uh, into Colchester, which is run by who? Which is actually run by First Group. Yep. So let, well, let's stagecoach off the hook on this one. <laughs> a family ticket is for one adult and two children. Ridiculous. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. And how much did it cost then for two families to two travel? Two families to travel uh, four miles up the road was £17. Yeah, and they can't make money out of that. Wow. Well, again, a, a, a part of your um, part of your glee, I think, uh, talking about stagecoach, yeah. John, was um, another thing on their results was that they, they were due to enter the um, East Anglia franchise bid. Well, I'm not sure it's glee. It's trepidation, stroke, horror, <laughs> stroke. It, uh, Schadenfreude. It, yeah, Schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah, um, Graham and I commute on the line in question. Suffer yeah, the, on the, the line the in question. Greater though. Anglia franchise. Mm. And it is... A disaster? Appalling. It's appalling. Yeah. Um, it used, used to be the old uh, uh, route out of uh, Fenchurch Street, South End, that was known as the Misery Line. Mm. And I think <laughs> I think we've overtaken them. Yeah. I mean, it's Who's it? It's, cause it's, it's not run by Stagecoach. No, it's a Belio. Yeah. So a Belio with the potential partner of Stagecoach. Yes, and, they uh, were. And they've, and they've kind of gone their separate ways. Yeah, they have. They had a bit of a, a disagreement about the technicalities of the franchise. But management and Stagecoach say they're still happy to support um, a Belio in any sort of administrative way and they would get payment for that but stagecoach were due to have a 40 percent stake in this um in this franchise if they if the bid was successful but um yeah stagecoach have uh, decided not to not to do that so you might be stuck with the incumbent john i doubt know. it very 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 much indeed i think there's some uh, finally some political action is being uh, focused on that line it is absolutely shocking and it's also shockingly expensive it's the cost yeah it's the, the service you get for effectively five grand a year is appalling yeah yeah so uh actually you know what stagecoach i'm kind of now i'm thinking about it i'm disappointed (laughs) 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 Uh, because a belly i need a good kick up the arse Mm. excuse the french uh (laughs) although in fact they're dutch aren't they they're uh, they're a subsidiary of um Nederlandse Spoorwegen. Indeed. If only Stephen were here to correct my pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, he, he would. <laughs> <laughs> which is the national rail operator in Holland, which runs. I'm sure they. Trains. I'm sure they run trains much better in Holland than they do here. I've been on them. They're amazing. Yep. Amazing. They're new as well. Newer. Oh, amazing. We we suffer on thirty year old trains. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, which which does beg the question as to whether it's not about the operators mm. in this mm. country; it's about the infrastructure. Um, because, as, as we've discussed recently, the rolling stock of Greater Anglia, run by Abellio, is not owned by Greater Anglia. It's owned by an infrastructure company, which I understand to be 3i infrastructure. Mm. Um, you know, the rails, which its trains, which 3i's trains run on, <laughs> are not managed by Abellio, Greater right. Anglia. They're managed by Network Rail. So, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the question is whether the UK's rail infrastructure is fundamentally broken. Well, it is. I mean, you, can't, you can't have double-decker trains in the UK because none of the bridges are tall enough. So no. Things no. like that. I mean, uh, the, the, the amount of cost to rectify something like that would be uh, remarkable. Absolutely. Well, we, the uh, Nederlands of Spoorwegen uh, has, has lovely double-decker trains. I enjoy travelling on them when we go over to, to Holland mm. from uh, Hooker Holland every now and then. Anyway, OK, I digress. Let's quickly go back to food. Uh, sorry for that interruption. It's a normal service. Um, yeah, food. So, uh, yeah, and it, all, in summary, lots of change going on. 
Yeah, and do we need to be aware of it? And this feature sums it up perfectly. It, exactly that. It's the perfect pitch of the feature. So yeah, so there's a mixture of food production, there's tech, and there's uh, retail changes in there as well. So it's worth a read. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much, Bradley. It is a great feature, and uh, yeah, a fitting a fitting intro to the Christmas period when we'll all no doubt be eating and drinking far too much. Let's wrap it up. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Bradley. And thank you, Graham. Interesting stuff in the markets this week. Lots more in the magazine. Uh, James Norrington has had a look at our ancient FT30 dogs system. He's really, I mean, he's, you know, we've been doing this for years and uh, he's asking some good questions of it. I think these are the questions that, that really need to be asked of these so called simple passive systems uh, that apparently deliver great returns year in year out uh, emma agumang who's not been with us for very long but uh, she's written a tremendous piece on stockbrokers uh, and how you can make sure your money is safe from when they do go bust do not think that your stockbroker is immune to the vagaries of economics because they do go bust far more regularly than you would think and uh, yeah there are ways that you can protect yourself from that emma gives some absolutely wonderful examples there lots of results this week mostly from aim actually it's kind of the aim reporting season in full swing lots of comment tips as per usual, Algie Hall's looking at momentum in his stock screen and Jonas Crossland is looking at the ongoing travails of the estate agency sector. Uh, lots of disruption going on there. And we've got a new new company coming to market, haven't we? Purple Bricks. Mm. Neil Woodford backs. Yeah, I yeah, and obviously lots of in the personal finance fun section, which they will be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. Anyway, thank you very much. Uh, pick up the magazine, four pound fifty, and all good news agents food fight the shares to buy as eating habits change. And I will see you again next week for our Christmas party special podcast. See you later.